Hi everyone, and welcome to episode four of the Project Stay Alive podcast. Today, you're going to meet one of my best friends and my cousin, Devin, as he shares a bit about his journey to conquering imposter syndrome. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and rate and follow us for more information and resources. Thank you. Devin, welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's good to be here. How's it going? Good. I'm so excited you're here. Great. I am too. So for everyone listening, just so you know, Devin is like one of my best friends in the entire world. I love this guy so much and I'm so excited that he is on the Project Stay Alive journey with us. Me too. Love you too, dude. All right. You ready for some warm-up questions? Yeah. Let's go. Okay, tell the podcast who you are, what you do, and why you care about mental health. You might have to repeat one of those or two of them. Okay. I am Devin Iverson. And what was the second question? What do you do? Well, I am really big into the outdoors and uh, adventuring out in the wilderness. And I drive a truck for a living. I got a CDL. So that can be super fun and super annoying and super boring, but I fill up that time listening to podcasts and, you know, kind of just enjoying music, so. And thinking. Yeah, yeah. So for everyone listening, Devin is like one of the biggest reasons that I got into listening to podcasts and then we kind of had a dream about doing this podcast together. So he's the original podcast guru in the fam. Um, last question. Why do you care about mental health? Well, it's super important to me because I've realized that everyone I know has struggled a great deal at some point. And the solutions aren't easy for wellness and, you know, path to recovery. And oftentimes... I don't see a lot of contribution because I don't see a lot of, um, I don't, I still don't see a lot of resources yeah. for people to access, at least in rural communities. Or I don't, I see that people feel they can't access yeah. help or they isolate themselves and, you know, endure their own, you know, suffering or, penance or however they perceive it so I think that there needs to be an open discussion and I think more people should be involved and it shouldn't be taboo yeah 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 I've spent a lot of time thinking about that what I wonder what it would be like to live in a world where people talked it talked about it as openly as we do yeah I find that in everyday conversation, not many people I interact with will bring up something they're struggling with. You know, it's usually just casual and they don't breach any difficult subjects or say I'm not doing great today at all. You know, just for an example, that, you know, just spout out a predetermined response, you know. Yeah, the I'm fines of the world. Yeah. Uh-huh. Some phrase, usually, that 
you know is just generic or actually means that they're doing terribly and that's just something that they hide behind yeah Yeah, there's so much stigma and so much shame and that's one of the biggest things that we're working to reduce yeah I think it's really important yeah okay share with everybody listening a little bit about your own mental health journey well something that really highlights what I've dealt with and that comes to mind immediately is a feeling of not understanding my identity or feeling myself or being comfortable and this idea that I'm pre-planning or acting out a character the idea that I'm an imposter in my own skin and I've heard that referred to as imposter syndrome. I couldn't tell you an exact definition for that, but I've really related to that feeling and kind of just been aware that I was going through the motions constantly from an early age until my mid-20s. And it was a huge issue because I would have situations or... um, environments where I felt perfectly at ease, you know, whether it could have been with family or just something I had grown accustomed to and had the confidence to be in a situation or environment. But most of the time, I would be uncomfortable with any social interaction, any type of expectation I would have to um, to need to feel equivalent or valued, I I really was concerned with what I was putting forward. And I needed to have an expectation that I could prove that I had value. Yeah. Okay, let's unpack that a little bit. So, because I think what you're talking about is really normal. People feeling like they are faking it, right? We all hear that phrase, fake it till you make it. So... Who is that character that you feel like you've been an imposter for or that you've been falsely representing? What is that character that you feel like you... What? Tell me about that. Well, I, 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 I'm glad you're asking because I think it's super common as well. I think everyone experiences this to a degree. But for me and probably most other people, it comes from expectations of who I thought I should be or who I was projecting I wanted to be as a person from, you know, early adolescence into adulthood. You know, what I thought of as my role in my family and the community and who I thought I could be based on who I saw my parents as and who those people war that were close to me and I needed something that would fit into this this world that I lived in that I could kind of um, I needed to feel normal I needed to feel valued like I said I needed to I needed to have a purpose so I came to that sense of urgency, mainly I think because 
my parents got divorced when I was really early, or when I was, when I was young, and, but previous to that, it was just years of turmoil, and really unstable, and yeah, it's just hard to find my place, especially after they got divorced, and I'm glad that there was a transition, and that things were getting better but it didn't make who I perceived myself as any more clear as time went on yeah right and of course I'm going into I'm experiencing public school system I'm surrounded by a bunch of other my my peers that you know they don't know what's going on either and I don't know how to ask for help with my issues that I'm dealing with and I I'm I'm just a kid, so yeah. I didn't know how to deal with that at that point, and there wasn't really any language I could use. Yeah, how old were you when your parents got divorced? I was seven, eight, okay. probably probably eight. So you still like have strong memories of those years before. Yeah, yeah. and romanticizing and i idealizing this perfect little family. Yeah. Right. You know. Uh, Having a really stable home was something that I probably never had, but it was something I was always dreaming about. Yeah. And I I was very fortunate in many ways because the environment I grew up in was really great. I lived up in the woods. I you know, had a dog, I had two siblings, and I was able to run around and be a kid, mm-hmm. you know, and that was wonderful, and it really got me in touch with who I am as a person, and it really made me aware of who I wanted to be when I grew up, Yeah, someone who's in touch with nature, and someone who really kind of had a spirit of adventure. Yeah, yeah, you have the wanderlust. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's hard for me to continue with uh, a mundane life. Yeah. I need something exciting. I kind of, I kind of, um, I don't do well unless there's a challenge or unless there's some type of a drown rush on, in the, in the forecast in yeah. the future. And you cannot be boxed in. Oh no. You have to always be able to go freely if you want. So, okay, so your parents were eight, they got divorced. You referenced, like, feeling this... I was eight, my parents got divorced. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Okay, yes, what you just said. So, you started, you felt like, you felt the struggle early on, right? Yeah, and there was turmoil, there was stuff going on at home. You're in a small community, conservative community, rural community, where there's expectations about what it means to be a man. So tell me kind of about that growing up, what it was like to feel like you were struggling, maybe feel like you were in a different environment, and still meet those expectations of what masculinity means. Hmm. Well, at that point, masculinity kind of had a definition, but it wasn't it wasn't something I was worried about constantly. I kind of didn't 
as I developed, that became more important as part of my identity because I needed to understand what kind of role I could play. But I didn't have the same sense of urgency about uh, understanding my role in masculinity as a kid. It didn't matter, you know. I, you know, I was definitely a young, young boy being reckless, doing all the things that young boys did and, you know, having this adventurous spirit. But I really, I really tried to find a connection emotionally with my peers as I developed and with adults I interacted with. I needed more of a connection through like conversation and being excited about the same topics. It didn't really matter if it was, you know, female or male coming from, you know, either, either side of who we are as people. It didn't really matter, but it became more important as, you know, you go into high school and, you know, middle school, then you're around a bunch of other kids trying to find out who they should be and what what role they need to play. And then it becomes more confusing, as I'm sure everyone's aware of. So confusing, yeah. I feel like I always remember thinking that you were just a bit different based on what society was teaching me a man was supposed to be. Like, when we were younger, I remember you just were, like, so interested in thought and personality and connecting and and it was like I wasn't exposed to that same idea about men. Yeah, I really couldn't... I couldn't pinpoint why I was different that way or how I could relate differently. But I can tell you that it definitely definitely was that way. I was aware that I was the only person in my group of friends for a long time that would rather read a book than, you know, go, I don't know. I would rather, I would rather be introspective. I wasn't an extrovert. Yeah. That, that was it. When I was being loud and kind of boisterous, it was seeking to get a reaction which everyone does that. Everyone experiments with that. But I was trying to live vicariously through the reactions that I received from those actions I was taking. I wasn't always, you know, feeling crazy and wild and acting out. I needed I needed some kind of feedback. And that was my main goal. I needed to try and understand you know, my, my place, if I could be wild and crazy and entertain people. Yeah. Yeah. So then you went into the military and I have so many questions about that, just so you know. Yeah. Uh, after high school and kind of learning more about myself and simultaneously understanding that I didn't know half of what I thought I knew about how the world works and you know, my personal interactions and my relationships. <laughs> yeah, a year out of high school, I decided that I wanted to join the Navy. And uh, 
I had a strong sense of patriotism and, you know, providing a service to my country. And I grew up with that. That was instilled in me that that was something that had a lot of honor attached to it. Yeah. And, of course, that comes from society, and it was definitely more prevalent, you know, 90s, uh, definitely prevalent around 2001 for obvious reasons. Yeah. And I was really swept up by feeling that I could do something and that I could be of value. I could, I could perform an essential role in not only my community, but I could do something honorable and be proud. That's what I was looking for. Definitely. But that also kind of tied into my kind of pattern of feeling like I was an imposter. I took that step knowing that I would be achieving something great and that it was going to really be rewarding. It was just it was a challenge more than something that I had a lot of passion about. Mhm. Yeah, wow. It really was, too. So I got a lot of positive effect from that after graduating boot camp, you know, after being sent to a command after A school, you know, kind of learning a lot of skills and feeling pretty empowered, you know, by all these successes. But as time went by, it definitely became clear that it wasn't my passion. I wasn't choosing I wasn't making choices on what I wanted. I was walking down a path that I felt would just be easy. Because yeah. I knew I could do it. I knew I knew that I could rise to any challenge, but it wasn't who I was. Yeah. I will never forget. We were on a training run once you were biking with me I was running we were at mile seven of that 10 mile loop and I remember asking you it was the most profound conversation how do you let go of the path you believed that you were supposed to take to have the path that you're meant to be on right because that's what it seems like to me you just mentioned oh definitely definitely so that was a super interesting experience and the aspect that I knew I was going to change that I wasn't sure what who I was going to become but I knew that I couldn't continue in this identity that I that I had made that I knew I was just transitioning and I needed to I needed to know what was going to make me happy and I knew this wasn't it and I knew I had to move on I knew I had to do something else and there was a lot of other stuff going on during that time that was really taking all of my energy out of, you know, this this dream of the person I, I was. And I really needed to take a step back and 
rebuild. Yeah. Okay, so I want to highlight that for people. Because I can imagine people listening would be like, and I felt like this many times, right? Like, what if I built this whole life or this whole identity that I thought I was building for a a good purpose, but really I'm supposed to be doing this other thing, right? So, but I think it takes an, an... a huge amount of bravery to follow through. So it's one thing to notice that you're acting like an imposter, right? That you're not actually doing something that you greatly believe in. But it's another thing to start building or working towards something that you really truly believe in, but other people might not find that same value in. So how did you do that? Yeah, I struggled with the idea that what I was doing might be seen as a failure, that I was running away from something. Right. Yeah. But I knew that that was going to have to come second to my needs. I knew I was going to have to be okay with whatever, you know, came next. So I ended up allowing my command to um, administratively separate me. And I kind of, it came about because I failed some fitness tests and I was overweight. And I was upset. I wanted to continue with the Navy, you know, in some respect. But it came at a point where it just made sense. I was, I was wanting to leave. I was sick of what was going on. And I definitely didn't identify with who I was while I was, you know, serving. That would have been so hard because you are one of three siblings who have all been in the military. Yeah. One who's made a lifelong career of it. Pretty much. Yeah, there was a lot of, (laughs) there was a lot of encouragement to stay in and perform and have this, (sighs) yeah, I had this expectation that I would not have any, I wouldn't have the struggle that I was having. I would be okay, but I definitely was dealing with a lot of emotions and I, you know, I just had to come to terms with it, that it was time to do something else and that I wasn't going to be prepared that that was going to be okay. Yeah. That's like such an incredible takeaway that I'm so excited for people to hear is that like, if you believe in something or if you don't believe in something, follow that. Yeah, so while that was happening, I I had a full-time job. I was going to be okay. I was making money, supporting myself. And I was I was home, you know, and I was I was stable financially. But it was time to deal with some of the emotional turmoil I was experiencing. And a lot of that came about with one of my best friends committing suicide. And it really came out of the blue. We were childhood friends, really close, but we definitely didn't share the same bond, like pre, we didn't share the same bond after we both graduated from high school. You know, we we just didn't have the time to stay friends the way we were when we were kids. So hearing that he had taken his life and kind of going through that process and dealing with the grief and trying to accept reality was just debilitating 
Yeah. But I had to struggle through that. And I had to realize that it was going to be okay. That I needed to... I needed to be the person that I would be proud of. I needed to chase my own dreams. I needed to just move on. I didn't need to be okay. I didn't know what that was going to look like. But... I knew I had to. I think it looks pretty cool now. Thanks. So, you've been pretty significantly impacted by suicide in your life. Several family members, friends. What advice do you have for people, if any? Well, for me, I, I had to realize that there was nothing I could have done. It's somebody's else, it's somebody else's choice. And I wasn't responsible. It wasn't up to me whether they lived or died. So I had to let go of any guilt. And that wasn't easy. I'd... For me, the most significant example of that was I actually had a pretty impactful dream where, you know, I kind of saw an old friend that was gone in this dream and I was so excited to see them and I couldn't believe it and in the dream I was aware that they were gone but it was this wonderful reunion and you know like this idea that you get to see the people that you lost after you die it was like that but I kept questioning it in the dream I kept insisting on knowing what was going on and at at that moment when I could not let the question go my friend is just like I'm sorry I gotta go and he just died right there and then the dream ended and I was destroyed I was not in a good place but to me it was like a chance to say goodbye yeah it was a really intense dream but I, I would never say I wouldn't have wanted to have that dream. Yeah. Because it was good to see him. Yeah, that's the thing that if nobody's ever lost anyone in a way that feels... And not that like any kind of loss, right, is traumatic. There's not like degrees of trauma, I think, in loss because it's self-identified. But in a way that isn't expected, you... I found myself like looking for people like you go out in the community and you swear you see them and it's like you want to see them but then you're hit with the pain and the shit all over again right you want it but you don't because you don't want to have to go through it again yeah very often it just doesn't make sense you can't understand why it's happened and you don't see any warning signs you said something earlier that I I also want to highlight because I think that it's responsible of me um, for anybody who listening who's listening, and that is that you cannot control if people live or die. So if somebody has if somebody has made a decision that that's where their life is going or perhaps ending, we can try to intervene. We can try to move the conversation forward. We can do all of these things, but ultimately, if that's a choice that somebody makes. It's a choice that only they can own. And afterwards, we have to learn to 
love and accept ourselves and stop holding us accountable for things that we just can't possibly be held accountable for in this life. Yeah. So, at that point in my timeline and my journey with mental health, I definitely decided that I needed to put in some real work and really feel like I knew who I was and to have a purpose and to be able to experience joy because it was really dark and I couldn't really access, you know, happiness. I I, I just couldn't for the longest time. But I just kind of kept pushing forward, working, doing what I could. But I could mask how I felt, but it was just always there. And as time went on, I just continued to have like careless action and recklessness. And those were signs to me that I wasn't keeping it together. And those things were out of character. And that if I really did, you know, have an investment in my future, I wouldn't be doing these things. I wouldn't be taking risks like I was. You know, and that just showed up in the form of, you know, excessive drinking, you know, doing stupid things that I knew was putting myself at risk. So I really had to confront that, but I didn't know how. And it kind of blew up on me. I ended up getting a DUI because I was, you know, partying every weekend, working all week, destroying my body. And it's just this passive, aggressive sabotage against me. And I didn't know how to stop that so easy to fall into yeah but it was good that I ended up getting a DUI because I needed a a check I needed to be you know I needed to wake up I needed somebody to slap me in the face and say hey if you want something better to happen now's the time (laughs) yeah and I knew it was up to me at that point but I've had a lot of support in the past And I have been encouraged to just reason with myself and kind of learn to surrender any turmoil and just let it go. And that was a huge aspect of recovery was realizing that I was holding on to things from, you know, months, years, decades ago that did not matter. Maybe there was a conflict or something that I needed to resolve, but I wasn't in the past. I wasn't taking action to confront my problems. I was just bottling it away. And it would just show up in the form of anger or recklessness and, you know, this overwhelming sense of I'm riding this train into the dirt. I'm taking this this 
I'm taking this ride all the way to the bottom of the canyon, you know. I'm just going to keep pushing it. Because I didn't know how to take a step back. And it really kind of screwed me over. But it put me in a position where I had to move away. I had to leave home. I had to get a terrible job and, you know, work construction with a lot of other people that really were at the end of their rope too. And I had to, I had to to go through some counseling and that was really kind of a lifesaver. And I was very fortunate that things worked out that way. But through that process, I really just was able to come to terms with where I was at and where I wanted to be and that it was going to be okay. And sometimes that looks like not being able to sleep, even though you know you have to go to work the next day and maybe you go for a run on the beach and ball your eyes out. (laughs) You know, maybe, maybe you just have to come to terms that you are a person that is going to struggle and that's okay. Yeah, it is. And that you're just going to do it over again the next day and it's going to get better. Okay, so you said the R word. So how do you define recovery? I define recovery in the way I communicate with myself in the ways that I treat myself positively. And that has the biggest impact on what I put out into the world. Because I've always put up a good face for the interactions I have with other people. And I've always been able to kind of push this positive rhetoric. But it really needed to happen with myself. Because that's where I was lacking. And once I started doing that, things kind of fall into line. You know, I I didn't have this need to put myself down. Because I could just let it go. Yeah. Finally. I could let go any of the negative BS that I was holding on to. And I could stop letting every day everyday BS and everyday stress being more important than it needed to be. Just dealing with the little things and then allowing them to add up and create this negative space where you live in. You're, you know, 100% of the day, it would be negative. So you got to change that. Yeah. Yeah. So what advice would you give people who don't know where to start? Because I'm, I'm one of them. Tori has been, my partner has been telling me, you just have to let go of the things that don't serve you. You have to forgive. You have to move on. And I'm kind of stuck in that, oftentimes stuck in that anger still. So what advice, what's one thing someone can do to start that process? Great question. Well... Find out what makes you happy and start out slow. Just continue to do things that are positive and it'll gain momentum. 
from a habit. Yeah. You're gonna be treating other people more positively. You're gonna be treating yourself in a better manner. And it sounds corny, but pretty soon you're gonna start feeling okay. At least that's how it was for me. Anything else you want to share with the podcast before we do some of the end of the podcast questions? I don't know. I think it's a good time to go through the wrap-up. All right, let's do it. What is one thing you're really looking forward to right now? <laughs> well, I've got a lot of uh, goals with hiking. i got a lot of trails I want to camp on and walk my feet off until... I have blisters on my blisters and <laughs> really enjoy, you know, being out in nature. Yeah. Yeah. We've got our hike planned soon. Yep. Definitely something I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Summit in September. That's right. Lots of stuff coming up. Mount St. Helens, here we come. <laughs> All right. What is one thing that you want people to know about mental health? <sighs> that it's okay to talk about. And... It's hard for other people to process a problem that you might be having, and that's okay. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't talk about it. If you bring it up and someone's not able to interact, that's okay. It's hard. Maybe it's time to, you know, seek a professional yeah. because they're trained and they're going to ask the right questions. Yeah. I love it. All right, last question. Give everyone listening one reason to stay alive today. Tomorrow's going to be great. Because you're going to make it great. Cool. Devin, thanks so much. <laughs> Okay, you guys, thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you enjoyed Devin's story as much as we do. Um, We are definitely going to have him back because he has more to share someday. But for now, we're going to leave you with that. Do not forget to go to the website and follow our blog where you can get access to information, resources, and different ways to move the conversation forward so that we can all stay alive together. You can do that at projectstayalive.com. Thanks so much and have a great day.